Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Smashing our way through the boundaries of hell, no one can stop us tonight. Yes, indeed, Agitators Anonymous Tuesday episode is rock, metal, music, all that kind of stuff. Normal stuff, perhaps one would say. Well, I can hear a police siren outside. Maybe this might be the final episode. We shall see. Um, A little on-the-spot observation for you there. Well, anyway, so Tuesday, what can I say? Agitators Anonymous, this is pretty simple stuff. This originally appeared as a YouTube episode of my um, retrospective career video thing, series, whatever it is that I was doing and subsequently ignoring and should really probably do again. It's about Slayer. Who of you did not grow up listening to Slayer, love Slayer? Maybe you don't. Maybe you just enjoy the dulcet tones of my voice. Either way, this is just quite simply a career retro about Slayer. And you'll probably find, if you keep on listening, there's quite a few things you disagree with me about it, about them, about their history, about this, that and the other, etc. Anyway, so without further ado, follow me on Instagram, Nemtiango underscore primordial, primordial underscore official. If you want to go over to my Patreon, it's patreon.com slash Alan Here we are, Slayer. Okay, this is Alan from Primordial. And this is called From the Grave. This is maybe four or five, who knows? I'm all raspade up here. I've got my pentahood. We're going to do Slayer. I asked in the last one for comments underneath, um, of which bands I should do. And I suppose the natural inclination is to pick something which is a little bit out of the ordinary. But the truth is that doing Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer... Um, all these kind of things are pretty relevant. Um, uh, they please the uh, teenage side of myself who probably would have written these back in the day in school journals rather than do my homework. Um, but yes, yeah, Slayer. Okay, it's kind of low-hanging fruit, I suppose, on some level. But, you know, we're talking about one of the most influential, greatest bands of all time. So uh, why not, as opposed to something deliberately obscure and obtuse? Um, I have my thinking hood on. I seem to do my best thinking with 
a hood, so, you know, forgive me that. Um, so Slayer, yeah, um, surely it's been done to death, right? Well, you know, maybe so. Um, but maybe some of the opinions will be a little bit different to the norm that I'm going to have. There's a few vinyl, t-shirt, porn kind of stuff going to come up, so you may want to hang on for that, put the sound down, and then put the sound back up if you don't want to listen to what I'm talking about. Um, it's kind of like doing Slayer is kind of like, I suppose, doing Bible class and not teaching the Old Testament, um, or to people who never even read the Bible. Um, wow, what an analogy straight off the bat. Um, seeing as the old dogs are about to hang up their spurs, do dogs hang up their spurs? I suppose they'd have to have little cowboy boots for that, wouldn't they? Hmm. Comments below about that. Um, also, well, let's see if the pen is mightier than the sword. Aha, yes. There's a common misconception about Slayer um, that gets trotted out by revisionists trying to claim those early years in the name of punk. I'll put up some of the old pictures of Slayer. Um, so let's crush that misconception right from the off. Slayer in 1981, 82, 83 is not punk. It's clear that they probably haven't really heard punk yet. I think we think about this in a modern mindset where we think about how things are so easy to get. But don't forget a young Lars Ulrich came from Europe to the USA with Saxon records. And a lot of people hadn't even heard them yet, or Diamond Head or Angel Witch. And things took a while to come across the continent. And certainly in 81, not everyone knew the first Discharge 7-inch. Um, and it's clear when you look at pictures of old Slayer with their eyeliner and knives. And it's got more to do with... Well, it's Judas Priest on meth, but it's got more to do with um, a bunch of guys who were listening to Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and heard Venom, I think, and then kicked up the speed a bit. It's got more to do with Raven, with Exciter, with, with New Wave British Heavy Metal and Truth. Just because something is fast doesn't mean it's punk. I mean, look at Motorhead or whatever. It's just a common, um, I suppose, misconception because punk became a sort of a verb, a, you know, the verb for cool, you know, kind of like let's party, let's punk, whatever. And metalheads never quite, let's say, made their way into some areas of the mainstream media to write this form of revisionist history because one thing was cool, one thing wasn't. And so people claim uh, early Slayer as punk, which it's not true. Um, of course, it took a year or six months or 18 months after that initial first, um, I suppose, output of Slayer for punk to become a huge influence on it. But to claim Shona Mercy as punk, it ain't. And I think even more proof of that is, well, this is, I suppose we might as well start here. This is a bootleg record of Slayer's first ever show, I think. And you'll see songs like Ice Titan, Simple Aggression, Assassin, um, Final Command, Cryonics. I mean, it's just speed metal. It is satanic speed metal. Um, I had rehearsals back at the time, and the guys are covering Raven and Saxon songs. Not any of the songs that were to appear on Undisputed Attitude. Um, it's not to say that those things didn't become an influence, even within six months, because the gestation period of that of bands at that time, um, when we look back on it now, it's such a long time ago, but it was things were moving so quickly. I mean, even when I started to get into stuff in the end of, eight, say, 86, 87, 88, 83 felt like miles away, but it was only three or four years previously to that, etc. So I'm not going to get too caught up on that but um if you can find this it's on it's on youtube um the show actually and they're all very obviously practicing their you know downing tipton rossi parfrit synchronized 
guitar histrionics. The vocals are high and there's a lots of cheap leather and studs and nails on display. And you can almost pinpoint the moment where Slayer must have heard Venom. And the sort of Pete Way striped spandex gave way to black metal. Not quite an anarchy symbol just yet. At least not for maybe another year. Sorry, Daniel. <laughs> um, okay. And then, show no mercy. Now this is still in the, well it's not, obviously it's not sealed, but this is the um, American version of Show No Mercy, which again comes in the plastic sort of um, bag, that classic Metal Blades logo, Metal Blade Records logo, um, which adorned many of the old classic Metal Records we love and cherish. Um, Show No Mercy, let, as I said, I'm going to say this a couple of times over the course of this, let me make no mistake, Show No Mercy is satanic speed metal. There's eyeliner, there's inverted crosses, there's, you know, look at this immortal picture of Jeff Hanneman here, this classic inverted cross kind of stuff. Not much punk conscience on display. That's the last time I'm going to mention it, sorry. Right, it's, um, it's Judas Priest on meth. Uh, the press at the time, I suppose, considered them more or less really a flash in the pan and it's hard to really understand that because we've got used to so much extreme sounding music now to really realize that to like to modern ears you know the antichrist doesn't sound that far from iron maiden or judas priest but at the time the press and the media really thought this was like way overboard they considered it nothing but a flash in the pan um it's hard hard to quantify um, even though I was a couple of years past that past that moment when I got into this stuff, but it's hard to quantify how innately resistant the old rock press was back in the early 80s to thrash and speed metal. Um, but little did they know that 1983 was kind of like the ground zero, ground zero for many of the old guard from the 1970s. Uh, show no mercy and seek and destroy. Um, thrash was about to take over the world. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. And the old guard weren't quite ready for that yet. Um, you know the old classic inlay? Um, those old uh, photo inlays are were always a real great joy when you were a kid to look, spend hours looking at, um, spend hours looking at all of those pictures in the inlay of who knew which band and which you could spot other members, as you know you could spot King Diamond in Hello Waits and all that kind of thing. Um, we tried to, I tried to, we tried to replicate one with Primordial, but it didn't really work. It, I'm not sure it really works for anything outside of thrash and speed metal. But um, Show No Mercy, you know, you can pair with um, Kill 'Em All, and you can understand clearly why those two were right at the start of the big four. I suppose were way out ahead of the pack. Um, I mean, partially it's also to do with Dave Lombardo being sort of way ahead of the game, pretty much way ahead of everyone else uh, a year or two at the start. Maybe, uh, of course not, maybe not Charlie Benante, but um, Anthrax's first album I don't think can really hold a candle to show no mercy. Um, yeah, like I said, Thrash was about to take over the world. Um, and very much like, I suppose, Metallica did between Kill em All and Ride the Lightning, um, Slayer, Slayer did a kind of something similar, like a, a massive kind of, uh, like a light speed jump ahead. Um, and Haunting the Chapel, I mean, this is a nasty piece of work. 
This is a staggeringly caustic, vicious, violent EP. Um, the priestisms and the twin harping, twin harmony. You know that kind of um, three five seven. Um, you know what I'm talking about if you play the guitar. Um, sort of um, riffs were shelved and what we get with Haunting the Chapel is um, a really violent shock to the metal system. I think even at the time this would have been the most, maybe the most extreme thing. Chemical Warfare was about as fast and extreme as it had got or anyone had got. Um, Araya sounded evil. Um, I mean the whole thing sounded like it's recorded in the antechamber of hell. That the symbols at the start of Haunting the Chapel, the song, Captor of Sin, okay, it's sure it's um, it's mer uh, Merciful Fate, um, Corpse Without a Soul, it's the same, start of the same song. And this was back when Slayer were influenced by bands like Merciful Fate and Iron Maiden, that kind of thing, as opposed to what they became influenced in in the 90s when they were trying to sort of chase their own tail with extremity and stuff. But Haunting the Chapel is maybe the greatest metal EP of all time, or arguably one of it. I mean, it is proto-death metal. I mean, tell me Haunting the Chapel isn't the song, isn't more or less death metal. It's um, black speed metal. I don't know. Would you really call it thrash? I'm not sure. I mean, and back then when, you know, just even the, the covers were so simple, but they could just be so iconic. Um, it's a staggering EP, and it's staggeringly violent. They never quite captured the sound like this ever again. There's a really strange amount of um, sort of sonic delay and sort of space between the instruments, which they never quite, they, that was really tightened up in albums after that. Um, I'm not sure why. I mean, um, it's Bill Metoyer, um, engineered by, who did also Hallowates. But yeah, there's something very instant, and um, it's like as if Slayer just took a level up into the sort of, this is serious business now. You know, there's no way that Shona Mercy is a flash in the pan. This is fucking serious business. And people have the um, misconception that back in the day, bands like Slayer toured a lot. They didn't really. They did weekends and they did seven days here and ten days here, coast to coast kind of thing. But the huge, big tours that we see from some other bands or the tour kind of tours that we would see now were not necessarily happening back then for some bands. Like Slayer might do a week on the East Coast, four days on the, on the West Coast. And they were releasing records and the kind of record industry wasn't really quite sure what to do with all of these bands breaking through. Um, they weren't doing huge shows. They certainly hadn't come to Europe yet. They didn't come to Europe until after Hello Waits. Um, well, we might as well... I suppose we'll do Live Undead. Live Undead, the iconic... Um, super iconic cover. The back picture, maybe one of the greatest heavy metal images of all time. Now there is two versions of this. I have the one with the white um, border, which has six songs. The one with the black border has eight songs. I can't tell you the reason why or the wherefores of that. If you have the CD, you'll get Haunting the Chapel um, also on it. Um, this version is Roadrunner, which is 1985. I think the I think maybe the difference is that the one with the black seal is Metal Blade. I'm not really too sure. I think the CD of um, yeah, the CD of Live on Dead I have is the, the black filtered one, and it has um, 11 songs on it. So what's the difference? Well, 
Oh, I see. It's got okay. different track order. Evil has no boundaries is on the black one. Sorry, I should have really looked at this before I started talking about all this kind of stuff. Um, I mean, look, let's be honest, you, you should really have both if you can find the original vinyl. One is quite rare, one isn't. I don't know really which one is which. Somebody told me that you can get this one with the picture disc of this inside it, and that's the rarest one. Um, I don't know about that. But this is, I mean, it's absolutely vital as a document of the band's feral power. Um, okay, so we aren't sure exactly, is it live, is it not live? It sounds kind of like a studio rehearsal, like set up in a studio with a, with like maybe 40 or 50 people in drinking beers and screaming and shooting, you know, and shouting and whatever, and the Old Bridge Militia or whatever it was, I suppose. Um, various track listings, um, iconic for the artwork alone. It's a visceral account of a band that's about to break. You know, it's kind of like just when you're about to get the fucking t the tattoo hit in the flesh, the needle hit in the flesh. It's it's feral. And that's one of the things that makes Slayer stand out from almost everyone else. Again, the Lombardo factor, but there is a feral, primal, innate nastiness, like a really feral energy. Like the black version of Black Magic on here is just off the dial, off the charts. Everyone pulling in the same direction. Yeah. Again, I can only give it full marks if I'm doing any sort of marking system. All right. Hello, Waits. Steve, this is a record that I played to death. Probably the most influential record of my early teenage 12, 13 year old years. Put me at odds with my parents for years over the lyrics of Necrophiliac. Um, it's probably my favorite Slayer album. Um, then this is really when the world, I suppose, began to take even more notice. The reputation of the band as a force of nature alive becomes a thing of myth. They first managed to get to Europe. It's probably, you can find it on YouTube. I think it's um, Dynamo Fest or Something Fest in Holland, 85, and it's the first time anyone has ever seen them. And the sort of myth surrounding the band of, can they really be playing this fast? Um, bigger bands didn't want to take them out for fear of basically being ripped to pieces, which Wasp did, would do a year later or two years later. Um, Slayer were at the sharp end of the of a, the spear of extreme metal, and um, Hello Wait is in is in retrospective a quite a daring record. It's got um, six and seven minute songs, Praise of Death, um, At Dawn They Sleep, with complex arrangements that echo more of Merciful Fate, I suppose. Um, and this is something that Slayer clipped the wings of um, over the next. Well, from here on in, there are echoes of it in South of Heaven, but it's kind of a there's there was another side to Slayer which was this slower, more malevolent, darker side. I suppose the Hanuman side, maybe we sort of retrospectively apply to it, but I'm not sure that that's true. Um, but certainly, what they did is they clipped some of the size of these arrangements. Maybe that was the Reuben thing to do, I don't know. Um, but Hallowaits is an absolutely staggering record. It's dark. It's It's got tone in the sense that very much modern heavy metal records have um, such a huge guitar tone and that has such a dynamic range it forces out the other instruments. Whereas if you listen to Hallowaits, you can tell which side is Hanuman and which side is King. They have very different guitar tones. You can hear different setups. You can hear different techniques, different scratching, different solo techniques. It's very clear who's who. And the bass stands right in the middle, nice tone, big drums, um, like listen to Praise of Death or something like that, and you crank that up high and it will still sound fucking 
crushing. Whereas, you know, an awful lot of modern records, you turn that up high and it starts to become a blur because the drums get squeezed by the dynamic range the guitar is in. And that's the old analog way. Again, it's Bill Metoyer. Um, and it's um, this is the European version, so this is Roadrunner Records. This is not um, the Metal Blade version. Um, I guess I bought this when I was about 12, maybe, something like that. And it literally just... It just crushed my world. Um, Hello Waits, I mean, look, Hardening of the Arteries with the call back to the intro to Hello Waits, sends shivers up my spine, praise of death. The song Hello Waits, I mean, God damn it. Necrophiliac, um, there's just nothing more that you can say about this. This is absolutely, um, absolute perfection. And again, has this dark nastiness, which is not echoed across most bands because they don't quite have the songwriting technique or the structure and also the drummer let's be clear about that right well i mean look is there any point in um really reviewing rain and blood i i mean look hey i've surely wrote reviews of this back in the day this is the version with the lyrics the original def jam version which they took out because of angel of death I mean, who starts their album with Auschwitz? The meaning of pain is the first line in the lyrics. You know this ain't an anthrax record. Um, and this is the picture taken at the backstage of that very first show in Belgium, as I understood, I guess. Hence the Stella Artois. I mean, look, what can you say about Rain and Blood? Is there any point in me really digging this up? It's arguably still the benchmark for extreme metal. Is still arguably one of the most aggressive, violent records, if not the greatest record in, in extreme metal of all time. I mean, and this was this will come back to sort of haunt the band, but um, well, maybe not haunt the band, but it, you 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 mean you can't live up to this record. Um, it's arguably, like I said, still the greatest metal album of all time. I'd listen to that argument. In fact, yeah, maybe why not? Staggering production, um, a tone. This is the violent apex of metal. This is not percent body fat. This is ripped and trained within an inch of its predatory life. This is toxic masculinity in all its absolute glory. This is just um, a wild, raging beast ready to be fucking let out of the cage. Blah de blah de blah. Whatever other nonsense you want me to say about it. Look, it's rain and blood. What do you want? You know the story. Um, I don't have the original picture discovered, which is a bit sad. I have a few other ones, bits and pieces, a few other vinyl porn, porny bits here. I did used to have, back in the day, um, when me and my friend used to wander around Dublin in the maybe, say, 89, 90, 91, 92, there was like maybe a dozen record stores you could go to. And they all used to have like bootlegs of Greetings from My Guts, Captors of Sin, the original Slayer bootleg records, which I never bought. I had the cassettes with their with their made cover, like the sort of Dayglow, um, green Dayglow yellow covers somewhere or other. I think Darrow from Invictus has my versions of those. They were garish things, but they were the records, the couple of bootlegs that were the famous ones back in the day. Greetings from my guts, Captors of Sin. Maybe you can still find them hang out, or maybe you can still find them, um, collect them somewhere. There was 80s versions of them, um, and they were great records. You heard different versions of the songs. Hello Wait is an intro from Greetings from My Guts, which then wasn't written into the whole song yet. Um, Criminally Insane, 12 inch with Aggressive Perfector, which was the first song that ever came out um, by Slayer, which was on the um, Metal Massacre Metal Blade series, um, which they kept on appearing on the B side of things, which is curious because Slayer made quite a lot of demos. There's a demo version of Rain and Blood, which is a bit slower. 
Um, you know, it's called, I think it's called, uh, there's a tribute to Hanuman, which is the Hanuman de demos. Um, I actually had this on seven inch as well, and a friend of mine borrowed it, stood on it, and kind of then said, oh, it's broken, I don't ever need to give, bring it back. Okay. Um, as, and as a side to that, there's the post-mortem 12 inch. Um, I've never seen, oh no, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, again, aggressive perfecter, just sort of, okay. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's literally just the same thing. It's the same thing with um, different covers or different, you know, they both have post-mortem and criminally insane on it. And they both have aggressive perfecter. So it's basically the same record with a different cover. Um, yeah, but sure, look, what are you going to do? Worth collecting, of course. Um, but there you go, Rain and Blood. I mean, look, is there any point in me talking about this? I have a Rain and Blood t-shirt. This is the only old Slayer shirt I have left, um, which is the sort of ugly, um, I guess it's like a cow's head, weird sort of thing. On the back, you can see Rain and Pain Tour 87 dates. Um, and those are, are those European dates? I tell you, you know, it's so fucking hard to see because the t-shirt's so fucking old. Um, yeah, there, Stuttgart, Mannheim, I see at the end. Um, put in the comments if you were actually at one of those shows. Um, as, a, as most of my old shirts, it's like ripped and torn and blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, Slayer have so many ugly shirts from the 80s, it's unbelievable. The, the green um, sort of monster one that looks like Alf. The TV show Alf Alien Life Form. Um, I always wanted the Altar of Sacrifice, the kind of white T-shirt that they had, uh, but that was the only one that was I could find, and it was sort of hard spending your hard-earned. Um, I suppose was I a teenager? Yes, maybe I don't know. Thirteen-year-old, six pounds fifty or whatever it cost to buy in Virgin Megastore or something like this. And this is when Slayer were literally at the apex, taking over the world. I mean, the shows were legendary. There was riots. There was ripped up auditoriums. There was, you know, the band dashing to the side of gigs to watch how much stuff was thrown at the bands they were supporting, etc., etc. They were at the apex of the sharp end of the spear of extreme metal and wasn't really anybody who could compete with them. Um, South of Heaven. Um, there's a picture disc as well. It was the first... Uh, of those old albums that originally I have on pictures. South of Heaven, I suppose, for me, is twinned with Hollow Eights. It's an album with a foreboding, darker atmosphere. I would twin Rain and Blood more with Show No Mercy, in that it's a bit more straight, riffing, straight, metal, extreme um, aggression. South of Heaven is twinned for me with Hollow Eights. Like I said, it has this um, foreboding, dark, looming atmosphere. Um, Certainly at the time, the press and the fans weren't sure what to make of Tom's melodic singing. Um, this is about the time, this is the first one I bought when it came out. Um, and the slow burning fuse of dynamics. Um, and also the lyrical aesthetic view is a bit more sort of, I suppose, grown up, mature. You've got a lot of different lyrical topics. The, and the first one that Tom came in with lyrics for, and they're brilliant lyrics. So the Heaven is brilliant. Um, Mandatory Suicide. I've never seen the Mandatory Suicide 12-inch, if you have it. You have two? Please send me one. Mm. Um, there was another, and the weird thing about this record is that there was another route for Slayer to go after South of Heaven. Um, and that's along the lines of the song South of Heaven and Spill the Blood. This sort of dark, kind of grinding atmosphere. Um, this sort of dystopian worldview kind of stuff. 
Um, and I would say this is maybe the darkest album the band ever made. Um, fractions in the band coming to the fore, I suppose in the press, I remember reading at the time, there were two different factions who were barely speaking to each other. Um, it was clear that this is a band who were not bros um, and creatively thrived on conflict and tension. And there's a very um, sort of misanthropic specter of the Hanuman songwriting um, and the sort of new vision of hell that Araya's lyrics portrayed. Like I said, you may believe it, but Satan won't lie. It's a, it's a brilliant record. Um, it's very dark. I could see why fans of maybe State of Euphoria and Justice for All and stuff at the time were a bit nonplussed by, like I said, songs like Spill the Blood. But as someone who was more into, I suppose, Bathory or darker stuff, it sort of appealed to me much more. Um, Behind the Crooked Cross, Silent Scream with the double pedal Lombardo. Again, huge drum sound, much like Hallowaites and a kind of smaller guitar tone, but yet gives it this big fucking wide space, this heaviness. Um, it's less compact, it's less um, muscular in a way than Rain and Blood, but an utterly brilliant record. Again, full marks, I couldn't, I can't fail it for any of this, you know. Um, and it's a terrible cliche, and I'm going to subscribe to it, but Slayer in the 80s was untouchable. Um, absolutely untouchable. And that's kind of where my view of them as being as untouchable ends. Um, I'm going to be that guy. And even though it seems like their, their period of being untouchable was from 83 to 88 to me. And we'll get to Seasons in the Abyss. But um, you can probably tell because it's the first album that I don't have on vinyl. At least I can't find it. So Seasons of the Abyss is... Um, Sits as many people's favourite, but this is more or less where I get left on the shore, um, as most of you will find with most of these videos. Um, it's a common sort of old grumpy bastard theme, and I get it. Seasons successfully marries the aggression of Rain and Blood with the odd nod to the left field darkness of South Heaven, for example, in the song Seasons of the Abyss. Um, but it's, it's notably in the title track, but produced and packaged in a more... Um, call it main. Could we call it mainstream way? It's certainly trimmed of a lot of the fat. Um, it, it's 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 sort of the dark, foreboding atmosphere has been turned down a bit. It's more riffy. Certainly, songs like Blood Red or Skeletons of Society lack the white knuckle ride of the eighties. Um, death death metal is also the ghoul at the feast that's about to rip the guts out of thrash metal. Um, Slayer survive, but they do change. Um, and little did we know that the kind of ensuing Clash of the Titans tour was maybe the last gasp of thrash. I mean, look, we, you can't argue with War Ensemble, Spirit and Black, um, Dead Skin Mask, Dead Skin Mask Echoes, the sort of South of Heaven mandatory suicide style, um, Hallowed Point. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a, it's a great record. I would give it just less than full marks, but it was a slayer that was sort of changing and morphing into, I suppose they were contemporizing with the way the 90s was going, but it felt like... It felt a bit less dark, a bit less violent, a bit less nasty to me. And that's what had sort of dragged me into Slayer in the beginning. But also bear in mind that at this moment, there's Morbid Angel, there's Deicide, there's Black Metal, is just an I'm demo trade trading. And Slayer is kind of like in that things move very fast in that one, two, three year period. You sort of fallen in and out of love with bands, and you kind of go, oh well, but pff, seasons in abyss. Like you know, why would I listen to that when I listen to the first day aside? And then you go back to it, and it's it's a great record. Don't get me wrong, but 
well, decade of aggression. I did. I do actually have it in vinyl. Um, this is a decent bookend to that whole period, and it tells its day. It tells its own story that to the to this day, my vinyl is sort of not played very much. It never was played very much. Um, tape trading, as I said, underground fanzines, just a natural progression of um, a young lad getting more and more into extreme stuff. Um, this didn't really interest me that much at the time. It's a, it's a good record. It's not a great live record. Um, I mean, the the classic Slayer footage is the um, Venom Exodus, uh, the Ultimate Revenge, the Ultimate Revenge show, which is like New York '85, which was the Hell Awaits and all that kind of stuff. To me, that's maybe the greatest live footage of any band, and they're right just about on their way up to the apex of their um, stagecraft, I guess. Um, small club, it's just absolutely ripping. But no, there's nothing wrong with this. It's a good, it's a good record, um, but not something I paid an incredible amount of attention. Too. They played in Dublin in 88 with Nuclear Assault, I should have mentioned. Um, I'll try and put the ticket up somewhere if I can find it. So here's where my CDs and vinyls kind of end. As there's a few of the ones following here, but I would tend to um, take the career up to Seasons in the Abyss as part one, which I you know, studiously learned all the words to, and then part two from here on in is the rest of their career. You may disagree, but Divine Intervention um, left me, uh, I'll pick up, put up a picture of it if you don't know it. Divine Intervention left me unmoved at the time, and listening back for the first time um, recently, since 1995, I feel the same way. It's clear that Slayer were, had really begun to be influenced by the newer bands around them and were trying to compete. And what became a hallmark of Slayer from here on in is the yelling, just all the yelling. Tom didn't sound evil anymore. I liked the Slayer that was influenced by Merciful Fate, not the one that was trying to front up to Machine Head. Um, and so I was just left on the shore because that whole mid-90s thing that I've sort of, you know, kind of um, pissed on its parade a few times in other Call from the Graves, it, that, was, that whole period, 92, 97, is just a whole host of silly beards, flannel shirts, stupid haircuts, Roadrunner, coal chambery kind of stuff, and I think unfortunately, well, I, I understand out of necessity, perhaps to you know keep your career going and not be seen as an anachronism. Slayer sort of decided to front up to those bands, and everything from now on for me sometimes feels like it's extreme for the sake of being extreme. Um, and maybe you know they were trying to front up to you know Sepultura, Roots, and Arise, and all of the young whippersnappers. And so what got left behind was the sort of spill the blood south of heaven aesthetic the dark nature of slayer and i think maybe maybe i'm reading too much into it but it would seem like this is kind of where jeff hanneman sort of how shall we say um left the party early or rather stayed in the party early and his songwriting influence began to wane from here on in um and it feels like Slayer kind of forged a more simplistic, straightforward version of themselves. As I said, maybe it was self-preservation. Um, it's hard to say entirely, but certainly um, Divine Intervention, I suppose I wasn't really interested in the, some of the sort of more social commentary of the lyrics. 
but it's not a bad record at all. It's, of course, the first one without Lombardo. It's It's got some good riffs. Um, it's got some killer moments and killer parts, but it's I could feel already that this is the moment where I sort of begin to fall out of love with Slayer. And like I said, there is an alternate Slayer somewhere out there in another universe that followed the, the blueprint of songs like Spill the Blood, South of Heaven, Hell Awaits. And I think there's an alternate, uh, you know, there's a, there's an alternate version of me that prefers that version of Slayer. Or maybe it's just this version of me. <laughs> um, and so, you know, for the next decade or two, Slayer would, like, chase their tails trying to out-anger themselves. And it was, I think, with huge detriment to the songwriting because there was another path, you know, as well as being as aggressive. But Seasons of the Abyss, I suppose, is the perfect marriage in a way of those. You still get the dead skin mask. Um, seasons in the Abyss moments, and you do get the digga digga dinka 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 kind of bits. You know, it seemed like a dinky riff to me at the time. Um, Undisputed Attitude is an album at the time I refused to listen to. I was really, really entrenched in my black metal barracks, in my proto pro heavy metal barracks. Um, and of course, it was, I'll explain what I mean by that. I was a, look, I was a teenage dickhead, what do you want to know? Um, I was an irritating know-it-all, um, but it struck it struck me as a calculated cash-in on the rising tide of punk's cool. I didn't see any Raven, Venom, Merciful Fate, or Saxon covers sitting in the mix, only punk covers, and it seemed to be a bit like, okay, so this is, um, you know, The Offspring at the time is the most, the biggest selling independent record of all time and all this kind of crap. Um, and obviously what it was in reality, it was... Um, not the stuff that the band was influenced by in 81 and 82. This was Hanneman's kind of back of a beer, a uh, beer mat, uh, eight drinks in kind of, you know, early punk rock and hardcore um, playlist. Stuff you wanted to just kind of get out of his system. And listening back, it is cool. Look, come on. TSOL, Minor Threat. It is cool. Um, it's just, it seemed a bit at the time to, I suppose, uh, an angry 20-year-old or night, whatever it was, that this was a bit of a cash grab, you know? Ah, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was a clever um, move to reinvent the band. Maybe it was also just fun. Um, throw, Slayer throwing off some of the shackles of their own reputation. Um, and rumour is that by this was maybe the last thing that Hanneman um, was fully dialed into, the Slayer frequency. That that was the last thing that he really... I it would seem cared about more or cared more about than boozing or whatever, you know, apparently. But I don't know. What do I know exactly? Um, Diabolus and Musica, 1998. Uh, this has the worst Slayer song of all time. Um, Scrum, a song about rugby. Yeah, I kid you not. This is what happens when you just run out of uh, things to write about. Uh, 1998, which, 1997, 98, which I think are the lowest point for metal or traditional metal in general. This is when new metal is ascending to the throne of rock and roll. Um, the old traditional metal bands from the 80s are just viewed with total disdain and anachronism. Priests are playing in small clubs. They've all run out of steam. Um, you know, new rap metal was in the ascendancy and Slayer are writing songs about sports. Um, that's kind of where Diablos and Musica is. Um, you know, I was fooled at the time by the opening riff, I think, of the first song, and then dig it down, now it sounded like a traditional Slayer song, and then, yeah, look. But you know, God hates us all. Um, Dablas and Music, I would give a three, four out of ten, maybe two. Dablas and Music is a little bit better um, than, 
or sorry, God Hates Us All is a little bit heavier, heavier, heavier. It's a little bit better than Douglas and Music Up. God Hates Us All. Again, um, it's an album that's infatuated with its own its own need to be constantly aggressive, yelling, 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 fucking this, fucking that. It's lacking subtlety, nuance, a touch of the clever songwriting or the diabolical swagger of these old um, lurching evil riffs. Um, it's It seemed to be driven by an urge to appeal to the lowest common denominator of teenage testosterone, which certainly Hellowaites wasn't, um, or, you know, um, Haunting the Chapel or whatever. And it's a shame... Um, as the band were, I, I think so much more to this, you know, than the some of their parts in the sense payback, exile. I mean, I tried to re-listen to them when I was writing this, um, and well, not writing this, but you know, I, this was this is was written before. But they're embarrassing, to be honest. Embarrassing listens to return to, and like I said, the rumors are that of course Han Hanneman doesn't play on these albums. Read into that what you will, um, and I think these are these are the last. Uh, there's a there's a and I think called soundtrack to the apocalypse, which is an interesting compilation record. Um, to, and you can play judge and jury with this um, side. Side one is the eighties and seasons, and side two is the nineties and early two thousands. And I think even the most ardent Slayer apologist would have to hold a hand up and admit defeat here. Side two doesn't hold a candle to side one. Side three has the proto speed metal, new wave of British heavy metal on meth demos. Another rare live cuts, which make it a two out of three ain't bad kind of deal, and I would recommend that, even though I don't seem to have it. Um, yeah, but I think even the most, as I said, ardent apologists would have to go, eh, okay, payback, mm, praise of death, all right. And the, and the problem is that Slayer were hung by their own petard, so to speak, in the sense that they had set the bar so high, so fucking high. Um, higher than makes basically anyone. How could they ever live up to that bar that they said? I, I I understand that, and I wouldn't criticize them for that at all because that's very often the nature of these things. When as a middle-aged man you're competing with yourself as a young man, and so forth and so forth, competing competing with a younger version of yourself who was reckless and fearless and taken on the world when it comes to extreme metal can be a hiding to nothing. Not always, but mostly. Uh, Christ illusion, wherever that pops up. Um, Four out of ten. Um, truth be told, I'd seen an incredible Slayer show a few years earlier that had really softened me up by the time this came around. Um, not like the 90s hadn't happened. This is 2000 and... Um, what year is that? 2006? I don't know. Whatever it is. Um, and on first listen, the guitar tone is a lot more like Seasons, and the band do sound initially way more focused. Flash Storm... Not bad, does its best war ensemble impression, Lombardo sounds in the pocket, the production is pretty okay, yet the tale of the album is just again a procession of interchangeable one-word song titles, phoned-in vocal lines. Catatonic is a perfect example of the mundane rut Slayer we're in. You get glimpses of dynamics in the old Slayer here and there, but the blade never really scratches the flesh, if you know what I mean. Um, it's better than the previous two, I'll say that for it. Um, World Painted Blood, I actually do own this one. Um, and this is maybe a, you know, 6 out of 10. Not bad. Um, the title track is great. Actually, really great. Um, but it's hampered by a weirdly dull production and tone that is obviously not the sound um, of a band playing together and rehearsing together and recording together. This sounds like um, it was demoed by Kerry King, um, sent to Lombardo, who recorded the drums 
on his own, sent back, and then Kerry added all the rest of it. Um, and Tom just added the scene. That's what it sounds like to me. It sounds, it's got some fucking good riffs, sure, um, but it sounds um, put to, you know, kind of put together like that. Um, there are signs of life, though. Best album since Seasons, if you ask me. Um, you know, uh, it's got signs of the malicious dynamics, and the first song, when the riff kicks in after about two minutes, will make you go, oh, there's that Slayer, there's Slayer. Um, but again, the preoccupation with trying to be extreme and shock is encapsulated in songs like Snuff, uh, which is a sort of needlessly over-the-top bout of phoned-in anger, psychopathy, red, hate worldwide, okay, hate worldwide, public display of, display of dismemberment. I get it. At least it's not a song about baseball or cricket. But the kind of one-trick pony of mindless anger just doesn't ring true. Maybe it's because um, the sort of the post-black metal part of my soul is kind of going, guy, you know, there's more to all of this than trying to still compete with, um, either try and compete with Rain and Blood for aggression, which is impossible, or the likes of Machine Head and all these other kind of bands, or whatever. You were longing for the band to pick out a jewel twin priest, uh, Merciful Fate-style dark, dissonant harmony, but it kind of never came, you know? That's the la I think that's the only one of those records that I can actually find that I own. Um, although I do remember buying God Hates Us All. Um, I can't find Divine Intervention. I think I might have had it on cassette. And I certainly uh, am not racking up hundreds and hundreds of cassettes. Um, Hanuman obviously tragically dies soon after. Um, and, it and it seems too obvious to say maybe it's the power of suggestion, but that the dark creative soul of the band departed. Um, but looking back, if rumours, and their rumours are to be believed, um, it feels like his imprint has been on little since Seasons in the Abyss. Um, there was, you know, boozing and drinking and partying and whatever, and I think his playing was suffering, and by all accounts, in his songwriting. That's what the rumour is. I don't know who will, I don't think we will ever know the truth about, um, really, was it a spider bite that put him out of action? I don't know. Um, so it's clear that Kerry has been you know, driving the train for a long time. And in reality, that's a huge responsibility, considering how many people depend on Slayer for their livings, um, etc. And like I said, you're competing with a version of yourself who at the 24, 25, reached their creative peak with a rain and blood. How do you com keep competing with that? You can't. And metal fans are so um, innately, they take ownership in such an emotional way of their bands that... Um, they won't be happy with the fact that you got five absolutely incredible, almost full mark Slayer albums. I mean, the, the, for one band to make one album even two thirds as good as Hell Awaits is, would be the highlight of their career, probably. But with Slayer, you have like this literally faultless first couple of years all the way to seasons. How can you compete with that? Or maybe just be happy that you had all of that in the beginning and that's it and just stop trying to chase the chimera or whatever you want to say. Um, so repentless, um, with the best will in the world, is more of the same. Um, at least the tone and especially the drums sound more focused and taut. The artwork is a callback to the old days, a bit like Christ Solution was. Um, we're invited to see this as a return to form, to buy into the mythology of a legacy band, to remember that we are dealing with the Alpha and Omega, the progenitors, at one time the most extreme and dangerous band on the planet. And here and there we get a proper, you know, hook and jab, um, and a jab lands, but it's sort of smoke and mirrors. Once you get to tracks like 
Chasing Death, Piano Wire, or You Against You, they landed near the tail of the album. It's all interchangeable and predictable. And sadly, in the grand scheme of things, songs that have left the memory the moment the album is over. Um, younger fans may feel I'm doing, if there is anybody listening who's younger than the old dudes who you're usually in the comments, um, they may feel I'm dealing the post-season slayer with, um, you know, a bit harshly. Um, but like I said, the problem is that Slayer set the bar so high for themselves, so high. In fact, for everyone. They're the benchmark of almost all extreme metal. Um, who made arguably, like if somebody came up to me and said, I think Children of Mercy is the greatest album of heavy metal of all time, I might go, yeah, 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 it's got to be up there. Hello Waits, Rain and Blood, South of Heaven, okay. Um, Season of the Abyss even, yeah. I mean, five, five albums in the pantheon of the greatest heavy metal albums of in history, I mean, that's my, like I said, that's more than most bands will ever make. So, you know, they made all of this great stuff in such a short space of time, and then I think sort of slept, sleepwalked, sleptwalked, sleepwalked creatively through several decades. The reasons are manifold um, and complex, tragic, and interwoven with the dark tapestry of life and death and addictions and all sorts of stuff, I guess, and touring personal fractions between the band um, but when they were good yeah they were the best um, and I think that that's enough heavy weighs the crown as they say and Slayer certainly wore it heavily for the last couple of decades but still would pull out a show here and there that I've seen in the last 20-30 years that you'd still go oh yeah there's that touch of evil that's just still there you know well I prefer to remember them a bit like a bit like that so, call from the grave, is it four, is it five, I don't know, but it's Slayer. Smashing our way through the boundaries of hell. I thank you. We'll see you next time. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.